you're listening to a message from Kaleo Phoenix, a church plant in downtown Phoenix that creates space for people to practice the ways of Jesus together. Good evening, Kaleo. Good to see you all. As Chase said, my name's Chris, and I'm excited for the seven weeks that are about to unfold leading up to the season of Advent. Advent will kick off on November 28th. We'll kick off Advent with a meal after our gathering as well. So we've got a lot to look forward to. But as we make our way there over the next seven weeks, what we're going to do is we're just going to keep looking at the stories of Jesus. If we're going to spend a lot of time in the life of Kaleo talking about, hey, this is what we do when we come together. We create space to practice the ways of Jesus together. Then it seems fitting that we would want to know what are those ways? What do the ways of Jesus actually have to do with our lives? What are we being invited to? What are we being shown? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? If that's what we're still going to hold on to, where's that going to take us? There's this one picture or vision of discipleship, I guess you could say, that I'd want you to think about. And there's this guy named Dallas Willard, and he writes a lot about spiritual formation and the spiritual disciplines. And when he's asked, what is a disciple of Jesus? He says it's this. Ask the question this. What would Jesus do if he were you? Right, so it's not so much that we would lose our personal unique identities as we follow Jesus, but instead that we would come to the fullness of our unique image-bearing selves as we follow Jesus. And that's what I want us to think about over the next seven weeks as we look at a whole bunch of different stories that involve Jesus. What would Jesus do if he were you? If you're trying to figure out how to follow Jesus, let that question guide you. So here's where I want to begin. To start all of this off, I want us to receive the reissuing of Jesus' invitation to follow him. I want us to think about that afresh. I'm going to guide us through the invitation Jesus issued to Matthew, the tax collector in Matthew 9. And I'm going to read that for us. Then we're going to pray and then we're going to look and see if that has anything to do with the way we actually live our lives. Sound good? Oh, great. Okay. Good. Yeah, you're all in. You guys are really committed. Okay, here we go. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. A wild encounter. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are already here among us, and I pray that you would just heighten our senses to uh, receive that reality, that there would be something in us in this moment in time that would attune ourselves to your Spirit, even if it's just to be reminded that you are a God of love, who welcomes us in and holds us close. I pray that if there's anything that might be keeping us from encountering your love today, God, would you just help us humbly lay that down 
and receive from you. Speak to our hearts and our minds. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. And may our lives follow in the footsteps of you, Jesus, as we ask anew, what would Jesus do if he were me? We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, I love this little snippet here with Jesus, partly because it also happens nine chapters in to Matthew's gospel. So again, it starts like this. As Jesus was walking along, right, which is something Jesus is just always doing, it seems like, right? He's walking somewhere. He's walking along, and he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Now, if, as centuries of readers have supposed, Matthew was the writer of this gospel, then we find Matthew, the tax collector, situating his own story and his own calling smack dab in the middle of this long list of healing miracles. So Matthew chapter 8 and chapter 9 are full of Jesus healing people. And Matthew, the writer of this gospel, puts his own story of coming to follow Jesus right in the middle of that. Why would he do that? It's an interesting thing, right? Apparently, Matthew thinks that tax collectors being invited to follow a rabbi like Jesus is its own kind of miracle, which is pretty wild to think about, right? So we ask then, what was a tax collector like? Why was this such a miracle to this guy, Matthew? The life of a tax collector in the ancient world would have been a pretty interesting one. Uh, you would get used to people being angry with you pretty much all the time. Uh, in Matthew's world, it was simply assumed that tax collectors could be lumped in with, as verses 10 and 11 just told us, sinners, right? So he's just like, he's not everybody's favorite. And N.T. Wright says it like this. He says, first, they were hated because they were already collaborating with the hated Roman authorities, right? They were in cahoots with the evil empire. And second, their work as tax collectors often involved them taking extra money off the top. So not only were they partnering with the evil regime oppressing their people, but they were also skimming a little bit off the top. So imagine for a moment what life would have been like for Matthew. Day after day and year after year. Suppose it was you sitting in that hot little tax booth waiting for travelers to pay their toll as they pass from one province into the next. They wouldn't enjoy this encounter, and actually neither would you. Then think of this. What would it be like when a young prophet with a spring in his step, right, and God's kingdom in his heart came past your little tax booth that you'd been all holed up in and invited you on that day to go and follow him? Wouldn't that maybe feel a little bit like a healing miracle? Wouldn't there be something about that encounter that would make you situate it right here in between all of these other stories of Jesus healing people? And if this is so miraculous, and if we too hope to experience these kinds of miracles, imagine this. Who are the tax collectors of our day? Who do you think the tax collectors of our day would be. Now, we're not really good at this at Kaleo, but literally, do you have any ideas? You could say them now. 
DMV workers. Okay, there you go. That's a good one. Car salesman, right? Yeah. Take a little off the top. Take advantage of somebody. Yep. Contractors. Contractors. Yes, we all have one of those. What? Police officers. Police officers. Yep. Right. It's pretty pretty wide array of people. Right. So so now we're like, yeah, those people. We all we're probably almost like doing it a little bit as we say, like those people suck. <laughs> right. Like there's a part of us that is literally thinking that. So this is actually why Matthew is telling the story this way. Because on some level, Matthew's probably always thought that he sucked. He probably felt that. And somebody showed up and said this to him. Follow me and be my disciple. And so right there, up out of that hot, stuffy tax collector's booth, Matthew hops up and he follows him. And it would have been a surprise to everyone watching, right? Because again, he's teamed up with not only the Roman Empire, but this local Jewish aristocracy who's kind of creating the system at the same time to take advantage of people. They're continually overcharging. And not only that, just the taxes in and of themselves were exorbitant enough without the overcharging. There are literally stories from the first century of people having to leave their land and their villages because they could not afford to live there, which sounds a lot like things that happen in our world today. Simply put, though, tax collectors were despised as they operated as agents of the Romans and their aristocratic pawns. So that's why I love the way This translation of the Bible that we're reading from the NLT says it. To follow Jesus was to be his disciple. Jesus' call to follow is a call to be a future teacher in training. He has something for you if you choose to follow him. He thinks you're actually capable of not sucking and taking advantage of people. He thinks you actually can participate in bringing about this vision he has for the world alongside of him. And that's why it's a miracle. Jesus, as we're finding out in this whole encounter in Matthew 8 and 9, repairs broken lives in a bunch of different ways, sometimes by just showing up to the tax booth and saying, come on, let's go and do this together. But then check this. This is the next thing that happens. Later, and we don't know how much later, but just later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Now, I probably read this and thought of this and studied this a thousand times, but I find this scenario so riveting, and it caught me off guard in the last couple weeks. After inviting Matthew to follow him, what does Jesus do? He follows Matthew, right? Like there's this humility of a reversal present in Jesus. He shows up on the scene, right, to the, to the worst guy around. He's like, come on, you got to follow me. And later, he's like, so Matthew, where are we going? And Matthew's like, how about to my house? Because I've got a bunch of other people who actually might think the depth of who they are that they suck to. We should go eat together. And in this reversed following, first of all, it has to blow your mind that Jesus, the Savior of the world, right? The Son of God flips the script and is like, hey, where are we going, Matthew? I'll follow. 
I wouldn't have ended up there on my own. I needed you to show me how to meet some more people like you. And there's something about that they're eating together, right? Sarah Miles writes it like this. She says, there's a hunger beyond food that's expressed in food. And that's why feeding is always a kind of miracle. Something powerful is happening at this table. Jesus the host becomes Jesus the guest. And not because someone twisted his arm. Because that's how he wanted to show up. And these table practices of Jesus would have been deemed radical. Right? Jesus, for his part, was ready to eat with people whom many of the pious Jews would not even associate with. And his eating with them gave the impression to everybody who watched where he went that he approved of them. Which is cause for concern, right? Or maybe just to put it plainly. Jesus' act of actively pursuing those who had been pushed out of the social circles was simply unheard of from a human teacher at that time. Nobody else was doing that. And that's why the Pharisees are up in arms, right? The ways of Jesus captured the attention of Matthew and his motley crew of disreputable sinners, but his practices also caught the attention of the uber-religious elite. All the way back, the rabbinic texts tell us that there's this contrast between tax collectors and Pharisees, the least pious and the most pious people you might encounter on a day. So the most pious are now critiquing the way in which these least pious are eating with Jesus. And with this extreme in mind, these Pharisees have a question. And it's a pretty intriguing one. When the Pharisees saw this, that is Jesus eating with all of Matthew's friends, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? First of all, before we were like, yeah, of course you didn't ask that question, right? We already got mad ourselves at all the tax collectors. Remember when we did that? So now we've got it flipped around and we're like, those stupid Pharisees. It's the rudest question to ask. Why does he eat with such scum? We're simultaneously in this story, the tax collectors and the Pharisees, trying to find our way out to see what Jesus actually has in store for us and for his people. But I find it curious that these Pharisees asked, who? Did you catch that? Who did they ask? His disciples. They didn't go up to Jesus, this teacher who rolled into town. They asked his disciples. For some reason, they couldn't face Jesus when they asked the question because I almost think they knew that he would try to heal their hearts too when they asked that. And they weren't ready for that. So the question now becomes again, right? Why does your teacher eat with, eat with such scum? And we go, hold on. Who are the scum today? Don't answer this one out loud. But think for a second. If you're looking at something somewhere, somebody's doing something, and you're like, what are they, are they eating with that person? Think of who comes to mind. 
and now contemplate. Why do you see them and think of them that way? And how might a Jesus-oriented vision of others change how we see them and who we eat with? I'm not implying or asking us to show up to places where we're unsafe. Jesus might invite you to that place, but that's not what I'm saying. All this has to do is how we see other people. So with all these thoughts and observations in mind, let's look at what Jesus had to say when he overheard the Pharisees quizzing his disciples. It says, when Jesus heard this, the question they did not ask him, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Jesus himself now is speaking to the theme of healing miracles that Matthew had presented in chapters eight and nine by simply stating, I'm here to attend to anyone in need. That's why I'm here. You can decide if that's you or not, but that's what Jesus does. And then Jesus plays a game, and this is why I love Jesus. Plays a game with the religious elite and their pharisaical ways. Craig Keener, a New Testament scholar, he describes it like this. He says, so this was common in, in Jewish culture among teachers. Jewish teachers often exhorted hearers to go and find that's what they would say, go and find. And that is, search the scriptures for examples. So whatever they had been talking about, go and find examples. Or they would say, go and learn. That is, go and understand the point of a given text. So they're having this dialogue, they're moving through something, and that's how they might sort this out. But when Jesus introduces his quote, which is from the prophet Hosea, that says, I want you to go and learn to show mercy and not offer sacrifices. He says it with, go and learn, a common phrase of the Jewish teacher, except he's doing it in context of a response to a challenge. And when you do it like that, apparently, all you're doing is insultingly suggesting that they're completely ignorant about the scripture, maybe even implying that the Pharisees, of all people, hadn't even read Hosea. In, in this cultural moment, in the first century, that would have been shots fired. They would have known exactly what Jesus was implying. Well, how about this? Since you can't ask me the question, go and learn what this means. Show mercy and not offer sacrifices. So what is he saying when he's saying, I want you to go and learn to show mercy? It's a good question. Because it's all tied up in this thing that Jesus showed up at the tax collector's booth, then he went eating and following Matthew into this place, and now the religious elite are up in arms. So I'm gonna unpack this. This is the end of all of this, by the way. I'm gonna unpack this. I'm taking my cues from a book by a guy named Richard Beck. 
His book's called Unclean Meditations on Purity, Hospitality, and Mortality. It's way more than maybe most of us want to dive into, but I'm going to try to synthesize it, okay? Because in this encounter with Jesus, Matthew, and the disreputable sinners, we see something about how the Pharisees see the world, and this is when we have to evaluate our own selves. The Pharisees attain their purity through an expulsive mechanism, right? They are expelling tax collectors and sinners from the life of Israel. They're saying there is no room for them in our religious life. That's their whole MO. And they deem that as holiness. But Jesus rejects this notion of holiness. And Jesus, citing mercy as his number one rule, refuses to sacrifice those people to become clean himself. You see what he's doing? He's flipping the whole system on its head. Are you, are you tracking at this point? Like a little enough? Okay. All right, I, almost there, okay? So at this point in time, when the Pharisees approach Jesus and his disciples and they're trying to figure out what this dinner party is that's going on, they never once consider the fact that the contact between Jesus and the disreputable sinners that he's eating with might have a purifying, redemptive, or cleansing effect upon them. They never once consider what Jesus might be bringing to that table. Why not? Because their logic is this logic of contamination. The logic of contamination has this power of the negative dominating over the positive. As in Jesus doesn't purify the sinners, the sinners make Jesus unclean, therefore he shouldn't be there. That's at least what they've been telling themselves. We can't show up in this place because of how it will contaminate us. And Jesus is saying, contact with Jesus purifies you, redeems you, restores you, cleans you. All these words that we've been told all along that have hung over our heads. It turns out it's just a meal with Jesus. That's what he had in mind all along. And so a church that joins the mission of God and embraces this reversal following Jesus into the world means we follow Jesus into the world without fears of being contaminated by the world. It's a deeply counterintuitive posture to take. Like if you want to follow Jesus into those places and you want to figure out how to show mercy as he intends for us to do, you will always be swimming against the tide. You'll be tempted to separate, withdraw, quarantine. We've seen it play out throughout history. Not them, don't let them too close. Not them, don't let them too close. In light of this Jesus story, how then are we, in our context, this day, in this city, being invited to follow Jesus? If this is what Jesus says, go and learn to show mercy, what does that mean for us? How might this story spur us on to follow these rhythms of Jesus? These rhythms in which we humbly seek the presence of God. We're being formed as the family of God, so we join the mission of God. How does this have anything to do with that? What do we do with the challenge that Jesus is inviting us to, to be people who go and learn to show mercy? 
Here's what's crazy. I don't have an answer. I don't like, I don't have the, we don't go, oh, this is how you do it. Jesus is the way. That's all I know. And we keep following him. We keep listening to him. We keep discerning what he has to say to us. And you know what's interesting about the life of Kaleo? We desire to create space for God to speak whatever God needs to speak to you. So I don't know what all of this means for you, but as you begin to discern what it means for you, it has an impact on all of us. And then it has an impact on those beyond that and beyond that and beyond that. So here's what I wanna give to us. I wanna give you a couple minutes to just sit here still in the presence of God and go, what do I do with this challenge, this invitation to be a person who goes and learns to show mercy? Go ahead and take that time now. Band, you guys can come up as they do that, and you can contemplate as you come up. As you continue to listen to what God has to say to you about that, even bring forth the question of of how are we as a collective, this group of people being formed as a family, how are we in our context being invited to follow Jesus? Give us ears to hear, God. Jesus, as we continue to sit here asking you to speak the last word into our lives for our evening together, I pray that you would remind us of the ways in which you show up to the Matthews of the world. tax collectors of our day, would you give us eyes to see as you see? And then God, would you remind us too 
our propensity to join with the Pharisees and say things like, why do you hang out with such scum? And in the midst of that tension and conviction and internal contradictions, God, may we be reminded that your son Jesus is just walking along, inviting us to walk with him. We don't have to sort it all out right now. We're actually being invited to go and learn And would we take that invitation seriously? Would we learn to show mercy by following on the loving ways of Jesus? For more resources or information about Kaleo, please visit our website at kaleophx.com or follow us on social media. If this episode has been helpful to you, let us know or share it with someone you know.